to hear me try to speak Spanish and botch it completely. The song you're hearing right now is called Proletarian Party, and it's from the album... All right, here we go. Por un piñata de riblos. It is from the band The Gagarins. They've given us permission to play their music here in the past on the show, and I wanted to go back and play some music from the past 500 or so episodes of MKR, and, well, they just came up on the list. Check them out over at thegagarins.bandcamp.com when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio, and I am your host. Yes, I'm your host, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. You know, it's been a while since I've really done a regular episode of MKR with an introduction like this, plus a segment from Kenny, plus a segment from Mark, plus a conversation with somebody in which I am the host and kind of facilitating the whole thing. This is a regular episode of Monster Kid Radio. I, I am surprised that it's taken me so long to kind of get back into the swing of things, but of course... I don't know if you all just heard that or not, but Wednesday just wandered into the room and meowed at me. So if you'll excuse me, I think it's her dinner time. Hold on a moment. Where were we? Oh, yes. It's Monster Kid Radio. It's episode 550. And you guys, gals, and everybody else are the best podcast listeners in the world because you've been so patient with me as I've been going through the unpacking and settling in process here at my new place. I'm not done, but I'm done enough to actually put together an episode of MKR. A little late. I actually think we're going to slide the release date of Monster Kid Radio to less a Wednesday night, Thursday morning thing to a sometime on Thursday type schedule, at least for now. We may tighten things up a little bit, but just the way my work schedule is with the quote unquote day job and everything else, it's been difficult for me to get the actual episode out on, well, what counted as time before. So again, thanks for bearing with me. What's coming up in this week's episode? Well, I mentioned it already. Kenny is here with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yes! We got Kenny back. Plus, Mark Madsky continues to knock it out of the park with another installment of his Beta Capsule Review. This is a fun episode, the episode of Ultraman that he talks about. Even if you're not a fan of Ultraman per se, and well, if you're not, I don't know why you listen to the Beta Capsule Review, but, you know, even if you're not an episode of Ultraman, you just like giant monsters, this particular episode of Ultraman that Mark's talking about is just quality from top to bottom and a little weird and well i like things a little weird which is why i have steve turek on this week's episode of the podcast all right that's not true the reason steve is on this week's episode of the podcast is we're kind of doing a, a weird informal passing back of the baton plus i wanted to thank him in person on quote unquote air for being my joan rivers for being my guest host for the past month on Monster Kid Radio. I just really appreciate all the work that he's done, and I wanted to talk to him about it. So he and I went back to the, hey, we've never seen this movie before, well, and picked 1956's The Gamma People. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I thought about it now, because I'm going to tell you what I thought about it here in a little bit with Steve. After you hear from Mark, after you hear from Kenny, 
right after this. have your attention, please. I have been asked to explore the serious side of Alfred Hitchcock. Very likely, I suspect, because I am Alfred Hitchcock. I have chosen to do this through the following serious statement. I want you to see Psycho, a motion picture, exactly the way I originally made it, uncut, with every scene intact especially the famous shower bath scene, which the TV version did not dare show. This occurs 44 minutes from the start of Psycho. Watch for it. And remember, no one will be admitted to see Psycho except from the very beginning. I now leave you with this final serious message. Suggested for mature audiences. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us. Horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us. The grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Boss Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Snow is a delightful surprise, rain is needed, and cherry blossom petals bring hope, but not everything that falls is a gift from the sky, according to the 34th episode of Ultraman. 
For example, there's the red meteorite that contains megaton monster Skydon. After impact, the massive creature breathes fire and stomps Tokyo virtually unhindered until it falls asleep. This sets off a string of really bad days for the Science Patrol, who struggle mightily to launch Skydon back into space. The old kaiju standby of attaching wires to a monster and airlifting it out of harm's way doesn't work. Skydon is too heavy. What's worse, Hayata's VTOL crashes, and though he transforms into Ultraman, our hero loses a miserable battle in which the immovable monster simply crushes him. Two more operations ensue. The first, which involves attaching a gyro blade to Skydon's back, also fails. And the second, which essentially turns the monster into a hydrogen-filled balloon, seems to succeed until uninformed fighter pilots see the floating figure and open fire. Ultraman is summoned by Hayata once more as Skydon plummets earthward. Can Ultraman overcome his most immense challenge to date? A Gift from the Sky is a gift to Ultraman fans who favor the offbeat sensibility of writer Mamoru Sasaki and director Akio Jisaji, the team that gave us the heartbreaking Jamala of My Home is Earth, Telestan, and the eyeless underground dwellers of Overthrow the Surface, the child-drawn kaiju Gavadon from Terrifying Cosmic Rays, gem-devouring Gamakujara of the Pearl Defense Directive, and the unforgettable Sibazu, whom we will meet next week. Gift from the Sky has all the visual flair and avant-garde camera angles associated with Jisuji's work, with an added helping of subversive humor laced throughout Sasaki's script. Each member of the Science Patrol is the butt of at least one joke, and between the sight gags and the soundtrack, this is one of the most supremely enjoyable episodes of the original series. A show self-aware enough to poke good-natured fun at itself before anyone else could. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. modern man is preoccupied by the mysteries of outer space. Scientists are probing farther and farther away from Earth. And yet, here on this very world we live in are hidden mysteries. Mysteries better left alone. For if they are disturbed, they could destroy the world. And now, an expedition goes to a strange South Sea island. Forbidden Jungle. To a forbidden village. Breaking taboos that anger the gods. Gapa! Gapa angry! The monsters! The selfish whim of a magazine publisher.
In this park, I will have strange tropical animals. <laughs> Results in horrible destruction. successfully starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of the red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot an adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Mission Mars. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests are talking about Gamma People. They were never mentioned in FM, but it wasn't for a lack of diversity, as many other people were featured throughout the years. Let's start with issue 5 from November of 1959. Producer Jack Leewood said of these people, By piecing together all available information, we have recreated real monsters, monsters which, according to local Louisiana folklore, once roamed and preyed on the surrounding countryside in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Who were they? The alligator people, of course. In FM 19, from September of 1962, we have brief mention of this invasion from Sweden. Giants of the ages running amok in icy death attack, controlled by alien brains. It's the invasion of the animal people. In FM 27, from March of 1965, these people had their moment of fame in Famous Monsters. A modern horror movie of atomic tests unleashing monstrous creatures which have survived underground for eons. All Los Angeles panics when the city center of Southern California is invaded by these huge, scaly, prehistoric creatures. These people lower the temperature of L.A. by creating an artificial dome of fog over it. Bullets prove powerless against the gruesome menaces from out of the past and out of the earth. Did you recognize the description of the slime people? Next up in FM 29, we have some slime people neighbors. Warning to the world. Up from the cavernous depths of the earth, they clawed their way to kill in frenzy. The screen's most startling adventure in horror. 
the astonishing story of the dangerous search through burning desert sands, roaring avalanches, and deep into the earth for a lost civilization in a land that time forgot. Not even history has recorded the existence of this unknown empire of darkness. Never has man made such an expedition into terror. Never before have outsiders beheld such sights. The sacred ritual of the sun death, the blazing sacrificial chambers, the court of the all-powerful high priest of Ishtar. You'll tremble at the sight of the bloodlusting people as they storm from their subterranean caverns, dragging their victims into their underground lairs. The Mole People, terror to shatter your nerves. The next group of people featured were in FM 125 from May of 1976. Now the eyes of the dead open, their glazed orbs staring into the shivery moonlight. They slowly sit up, no surprises shown by the other shadowy figures, all gaunt and emaciated, moving only when they have a task to perform. The dead young man steps forward from his shadowy grave. Those people are from Mexico. They were the Snake People. May of 1981, in FM 173, we read about the people that time forgot. And last but not least, Derek's favorite kind of people were presented in FM 184 from June of 1982. A timeless myth, a bizarre destiny, a fantasy of terror and passion are terms used to describe the new cat people. The article featured a look at both the Val Luton and Paul Schrader films. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Monster Kid Radio. Yes, Derek did tell you he'd be back as the main host on this episode. He's still unpacking... And also, I told Derek I had the perfect guest host to bring in. Somebody that's never, ever been a guest on Monster Kid Radio for 550 episodes. A Rondo Award-winning podcaster, writer. Welcome as a guest of Monster Kid Radio for the first time in his life, Derek M. <laughs> Cook. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Laid, laid it on a little thick there, buddy. Well, I mean, it's not often you get to be a guest on Monster Kid Radio, and I'm, I think I was the only one that could bring you in as a guest. I mean, oh, Derek okay. would never bring you in as a guest, Derek, <laughs> so I had to bring you in. Oh, man, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, this is, uh, you know, an honor. 
to be on this podcast I've heard so much about. I don't know if you've ever listened to this show. It's been around for 550 episodes. It's run, won an award. It, it's got a Lifetime Achievement Award. It's, I don't know. It's all right. It, it's amazing. Well, I mean, everybody teach their own. I mean, I mean, maybe uh, you just don't like classic monster okay, movies. Maybe that's okay. why you've never been a guest. Is that host. what it is? Gotcha. <laughs> that could be. Um, there. Could you tell some listeners what do you do normally? You know, what what, what do you what are, what are some of the things that you do outside of? I kick back and shirk my hosting duties and let somebody else carry the load for the past month. That's what I do. <laughs> no, no, no. You were unpacking. And I still am. The unpacking continues. And listeners, if you really want to know the truth, it, it, I took over the monsters of the machine and I had them hold their costume. It's almost like a monster movie right there. Like they, they tied him down, gagged him, and he could not control his own show. Right. That's exactly what happened. Sure, sure. But Derek, in order for the listeners to get to know more about you, there's something that is done on this show almost every episode, and that is, the Classic Five. What is the Classic Five, Steve? That's where we ask five questions to you to learn more about your relationship with the classic monster movies or not-so-classic monster movies. But this time, we're going to be featuring five questions only from the Monster Ooh, Bash. okay. Deck. Okay. Sounds good to me, man. All right, sir. Are you ready? I was born ready to play this game. It's almost like you wrote the question. I, I have it in. <laughs> I have it in. <laughs> okay. What has been your favorite monster bash purchase, not counting this classic five deck, which I don't think you ever purchased. I think you just made it. Well, I have to pay for the proof copy to sign off on it. So, I mean, I still technically, well, but yeah. Favorite yeah. purchase at a monster bash. Um, Ooh, um, this one's tough. I'm trying to think back. I mean, I, it's where I first met Julie Adams and got her autograph on a couple things. So maybe, maybe, the Julie Adams autographs and I've had multiple autographs over the years with her. So because I have so many fond memories of her. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Julie Adams autographs. And you got a parting gift. Didn't you get a restraining order after that? That happened when she came here. I'm like, Hey, you came to my part of the world. I, you know, I can't be <laughs> held responsible. <laughs> well, there you go. So the, the more people <laughs> learn. <laughs> Now, I know you're always busy at Monster Bash, but sometimes you do have time to sit down and watch a movie. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite movie you've seen at Monster Bash? Ooh, um, I'm trying to think of movies that I saw for the first time there. Obviously, seeing House of the Gorgon there was amazing, but I had seen that movie so many times up until that point because I had worked on it. You know, any of the Josh Kennedy movies have been amazing to see there, uh, whether it's... I guess, yeah, House of the Gorgon or uh, Theseus and the Minotaur was pretty solid, too. But, you know, there's a movie that gets shown there every once in a while that you can't find anywhere else. And, and that's what I'm going to answer with. And I, it doesn't even have a name. It is a bunch of footage that was kind of strung together. as maybe like a little story put together by the crew of the film Revenge of the Creature. When they were shooting in Florida, the crew kind of shot a little mini movie kind of behind the scenes. And Tom Weaver has it and shows it every once in a while at the bash. And I've seen it there, I think, twice now. I, I don't know what it's called. And it's kind of like a little comedy bit. 
there's something about that guy, you know, it's kind of the catchphrase, I believe, through it. So, yeah, whatever that little short Revenge of the Creature crew fan film thing is, that's that's it. Excellent answer. And as Derek, as you as you well know, your answers are always correct. And especially if it's an answer that involves the creature. Always. Always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just repeating what you what you know so well. But mm-hmm. question number three, question number three. I think I think we know the answer to this one already. I wanted to give you an easy one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who has been your favorite celebrity guest to meet at Monster Bash? Okay, you know I'm going to go with Julie Adams. The other person that has had a profound effect on me at Monster Bash was somebody that I met previously at a different convention. So I don't know if it's if it counts to say Victoria Price, but Victoria Price is an amazing and inspiring human being. And uh, seeing her at Monster Bash was awesome, but I had met her before at a different event. So yeah, I have to go with Julie. I got to go with Julie. Listeners would have been shocked if they would have, you would have said something else and they would think the brainwashing was still taking effect. <laughs> Now, here's a good question. I, I really want to see your. I really want to hear your answer for this one. I like this one. Who do you wish you could meet at Monster Bash? If it didn't matter if they were alive or dead, like if we could resurrect the dead, Peter Cushing, of course, uh, or John Agar. Um, however, that said, to kind of stick with the living, I think maybe some of the cast from Dark Shadows or uh, the Planet of the Apes films would be amazing. Or maybe even bring in some people from some classic kaiju films. I, I feel like there's a, a definite lack of kaiju representation at Monster Bash, and I think it would go over pretty well. So I'm just going to say in general, somebody from one of those three casts. You know who I would like to meet at Monster Bash? Who's that? Yeah, I'm just saying Kirk Christian, right off the bat. Excellent person, an excellent actor. He's a heck of a guy. Two Sinbad movies, heck of a guy, and I'll just love to meet him in person. I've talked to him many times. Yeah, me but too. It'd be nice. Yeah. It'd be it'd be nice just to see him and talk with him, have break bread with him, whatever. Buy him a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I like this last question because it kind of ties in with what the movie we have a little bit. What two classic science fiction movies would make the perfect double feature? Classic sci-fi. If these questions are tough, just blame the guy that wrote them. Yeah, that, guy, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Two-bit hack. <laughs> well, let's do Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the monster of Piatras Blancas would be great. That'd be a fun double feature. Um, I love those two movies quite a bit. Um, science fiction, though. Oh, boy. You know, Day of the Earth is Still and Earth versus the Flying Saucers would be a, an interesting back-to-back as well. So, yeah, those would be my two answers. I like that. I like that. And the reason I say, listeners, I think that's an interesting one to take into this movie is Derek and I are going to be talking about a movie that neither one of us had seen before, something that you and I have always seemed to be doing. Right. And that's the gamma people. And uh, at this point, Derek, listeners, I'm passing over the hosting duties back to Derek. The baton has officially been passed. He is now back as a host proper, and I'll go back to being a guest. <clears throat> uh, uh, I'm sorry, no. Minion. <laughs> I thought we've talked about this. Minion. All right. So. <laughs> okay, I can live with that. You know, you know, I might not be the chief minion that Scott is, but at least he's still been fired more often than I have. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're, but your review's coming up, so. 
Anyway, in all seriousness, though, uh, I know I laid it on pretty thick on Facebook, and I've sent you plenty of messages. I want to say here on the show, Monster Kid Radio could not have continued through the moving process for me without Steve volunteering to not just guest host one episode, but pretty much as soon as he sent me the audio file, he would send me the message, you want me to do the next one? You want me to do the next one? And... I always felt bad about saying yes, but I'm so glad that he put me in that position because the show wouldn't have continued through the move, at least, if not for your efforts, Steve. So thank you from the bottom of my monster heart. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And now I'm also known as the Joan Rivers of podcast. So I've I've developed a nickname from this. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to work that into a T-shirt design or something. You know, I I want I heard Jeff Owen say that. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, I I feel like I should look up Joan Rivers tagline. Like, um, what what did she say? She's like, do you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk. Yeah, I don't (laughs) I don't I don't know enough about her, but I yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Um. And I know the listeners appreciate it as well. I have missed it and I'm glad to be back. But knowing that I've got people like you who had my back makes me breathe a little easier. There are some changes coming to everything that I do next year. Not ready to talk too much about it yet, but uh, you can be sure that Monster Kid Radio is going to continue. And yeah, just knowing that Steve is there to help that continuity keep going was really made my life a little easier. So again, thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm just glad to bring some hammer films in. Um, yeah. You know, with Alistair Hughes and Rich Chamberlain and, and give, give some love from a lot of us still love 1951 down place. And I just got a message about that today. <laughs> yeah. So who knows if something, you know, we, we always know you're, you always say, we'll see what next year brings and who knows. I'd love to see it come back. And if not, you know, Alistair is always willing to talk hammer. And, I'm just saying. Yeah. He's always and, willing. Well, and he and I did Satanic Rites and Dracula 72 and Moon Zero 2 even. So and there, there are possibilities. So stay tuned. The uh, best place to kind of keep up to date with everything going on with Monster Kid Radio is obviously the podcast, but Facebook as well. And I know not a lot of you are Facebook users, so I am trying to make sure that I post the important stuff on the Monster Kid Radio Twitter as well. And I'll start making more use of the Reddit and the Discord in the near future. So anyway, all of that said, we are diving right back into how things used to be for you and me. We're going to talk about a movie that, previous to watching it for this show, we'd never seen. And it is a movie from 19, what, 56, I believe? Yeah. Called The Gamma People. Now, wait a minute. They all look the same. The man looked different. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? Yes. Yes, they, they, they look like... You know, ordinary men, but without minds. Soulless. Please, you cannot do anything. I can show what's happening to these children. 
Baronsky can't always make geniuses, can he? Sometimes something goes wrong and you get a brat like Hugo or a, a mob of mindless goons to do Baronsky's dirty work for him. This is a macabre mystery. Its location, a remote mountaintop, an uncharted corner of Europe that holds all the menace and the power of the unknown. The people who live here go in hourly terror of their lives. For the man who rules and dominates them is a scientist with a mania to reshape destiny. And these people are his ill-fated guinea pigs. He calls them the Gamma People. He mustn't leave tonight. He knows. I'm sure he knows. We are started and we must at least try. Too late to turn back now. They'll kill you. Then they'll kill me. Sooner or later they would have done that anyway. You asked me about the Gamma Ray, Mr. Wilson. Before your mind dies, you will experience all the extremes of heat. It will not be pleasant, Mr. Wilson. 180 degrees. 10 more degrees, Mr. Wilson. And then... Nine. I know I mentioned this on the last episode when I announced that we're going to be doing the Gamma People this week. That I knew nothing about the movie, but when I watched the trailer and I saw the name of the director, I got really excited. Because I really like John Gilling. John Gilling, I feel like, is one of these guys that I wish I knew more about. I was actually just talking about him with uh, my girlfriend earlier today that it might not be fair to call him my favorite director because I've only seen a couple of his films. But those films are pretty darn good. (laughs) Uh, He directed The Plague of the Zombies for Hammer. He also directed My Son the Vampire with Bela Lugosi doing a comedy role. So, I mean, he's all over the place in terms of horror and comedy. And I feel like he was able to bring both of those elements to this film. So it was really cool to see John Gilling in, you know, as a director for another movie. So I enjoyed that. Otherwise, I knew nothing about it. None of the names really stuck out to me when I saw the credits uh, in the, that's the movie starting up. I feel like I should have known Eva Bartok from something. The name looks familiar to me, but I don't know what it's from off the top of my head. I had to go look her up. Otherwise... Yeah, this was a, a brand new experience for me. What was your experience with it? How did you pick it? Well, I did it the usual way that you and I do it when we pick these um, blind movies, so to speak. I went to Amazon Prime. <laughs> 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 I do a search to narrow it down. And then I start looking for movies that I know I haven't seen and that also were prior to 1968. Mm-hmm. And the Gamma people came in and I read the little blurb, which is really not much of anything. And I thought, oh, this seems interesting. At the cast, I knew nothing. Of, I knew nobody. Yeah, <laughs> nobody. And I keep remembering cast that I knew nobody ripped or virtually nobody like Cave of the Living Dead and some other ones. You and I have hit gem after gem after gem. Yeah. Um, some of them are, are precious gems and some of them are not as precious, but they're still gems. Right. And I think I think we continue I, in my mind. I think I continue the streak of these blind picks with us finding stuff that's enjoyable and the like, even though this movie only has a 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. Are you serious? It's that bad. Wow. I'm on the IMDb 5.3 out of 10. Wow. Look at Rotten Tomatoes. I looked at it earlier today and it was 7% with 50 reviews. And I'm thinking, I don't know what these 50 people were thinking. Well, obviously some people had to, you know, vote it high or put it up higher, but it had 7%. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, Okay, it's not for everybody, but I think for the people that listen to this podcast, this movie is right up the wheelhouse. Yeah. Now, I wonder, 
I didn't watch it on Amazon Prime. I watched it another way. And the place that I watched it has a terrible transfer. It's a dark, it's fuzzy, it's blown out. How was the Amazon transfer? It's an Amazon transfer, but it's an IMDb with ads. Okay. So I wonder. And, um, yeah. So I didn't really notice anything different, difficult with it. But then I've, I've been watching some films recently with like the James Well retrospective, like Journey's End, which is a real bad transfer on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting kind of used to that where you're, you're not getting the, the best quality. But for me, it just reminds me of watching those old midnight movies on a Saturday night. And you got the rabbit ears with the aluminum foil and you're trying to get that <laughs> distance station in and you're holding and, you, and you're trying to get the picture just to line up the right way. And you never get it perfect, but you get it good enough to enjoy the experience. Gotcha. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy when it comes to a film like this, if it has a lesser quality, it just makes me feel more like I'm back in my, my bedroom watching the old black and white TV. Okay. Well, the reason I bring it up is I wonder if part of the reason why people might give it a, a negative review is because the transfer is pretty rough, at least where I saw it. So I wonder if that might have had something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, I don't think it deserves 7%. I actually found a lot of this really enjoyable, and I know this is going to sound very anglophobic of me, but especially when the American was doing something. Uh, he was, you know, of the two lead protagonist really he was my favorite and not just because he sounded a lot like jerry orbach um bum, bum. but uh <laughs> I, i'm debating whether or not i'm gonna put the law and order sound effect in on this <laughs> since he was on the oh you have to you have to uh and, that, and that's it he's played by paul douglas who again i know nothing about you look him up on the internet movie database though and it says he hosted the academy awards at one point uh okay cool um <laughs> I loved his voice and I loved him so much so that I would have loved to have seen him taking a crack at uh, the American version of Quatermass the way Brian Donlevy did. Just he had that kind of rough and tumble, don't mess with me, I'm going to punch you out. You know, just I loved it. I enjoyed him too. And the weirdest thing is, he was probably like 49 years old or 48 years old <laughs> when this was being filmed. Because it, it came out January of 56. Mm -hmm. So it was probably filmed obviously filmed in 55 and of course back in the 50s people look a lot older in those late 40s early 50s yeah it's the thing. age groups and so he looked a lot older and then i looked him up and i was like holy mackerel i'm older than he now than he was when he filmed it wow and then i read he died just a couple years after he died in 59 okay so it was, you know, because, you know, people back then smoking and not really eating healthy foods and yeah. not worried about nutrition as much as we do nowadays. Yeah, the medical and all that. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but he was, he was excellent. And I, the humor, I like both the leads. Yeah, me too. Leslie Phillips and Paul Douglas. I thought they had a great chemistry together. Mm -hmm. A lot of humor between the two of them. And it just worked really well. And, you know, Paul Douglas. Mike Wilson's character was the more rough and tumbled guy. Mm -hmm. And Howard Mead, the Leslie Phillips character, was more of the sprinter. You know, he could go get help and go back and forward. And I love it when he came down those stairs that one time. He just, I mean, I was like, whoa. I mean, that just, cause he's no spring chicken either. I was just right. like, man, he, he came down. It reminded me like Peter Cushing action scene, him going down Ooh, those stairs. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. He was also very good at yelling for his buddy, Mike. 
Um, Mike! <laughs> it, 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 was, it was sort of like they were going for an Abbott and Costello thing for a while. There, right? where Mike, where, where all the stuff was happening to Howard and not to Mike. And it's almost like instead of, it, it's Mike and where, you know, what, what was it in Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein? Was it, was it Mick? No, it's Chick. Or oh, something. Chick. Yeah, Chick. yeah, yeah. Chick, Chick, Chick. So like Mike, it's like so close. It was so close. It was like, yeah. <laughs> they really, the writer really had to be going for a little bit of a homage to a classic theme, you know, for those couple of those themes. And that's where I was saying that I feel like this movie had the comedy element uh, that I saw later in My Son the Vampire, the other John Gilling film that I saw, that their chemistry, their back and forth, their kind of one-off comments, you know, things, the, the sniping, the quips. I loved that. That was so much fun. You can tell they were two good chums that have worked together for many years going on this trip to take uh, to report about a music festival and they, basically their, their train car gets separated from the rest of the train and goes into a fascist <laughs> small country, which happens, you know, all the time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah, it's a thing. I don't know what you thought about that. But I was like, boy, that is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to see that happen. Um, and especially when you look and see who some of the, uh, like one of the big names behind this movie was Irving Allen was one of the producers on it. And, uh, his partner for a long time was Albert Bud Broccoli, mm -hmm. the man behind the James Bond franchise for so long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to have that kind of weird, almost international going into a, you know, a communist block or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, pretty thick. And the thing. This movie is humorous. It has science fiction, but it's also very political. Yeah. If, knowing that it was paired on a double feature in the U.S. with the British science fiction film, 1984. <laughs> well, there's a double feature. <laughs> I don't know which one came first, this one or that one, They're like in the, in the bill. <laughs> I'm curious to know. Yeah. Because whichever way it works, you're, you're in for a shock. Because if you start with this one, then when you go to the next one, you know, 1984, you're going to be like, oh, or if you had 1984 and then this one starts off so comedic, you're just like, what? But when you, when you watch the movie, it, it, it fits theme wise mm -hmm. very well for what they're both talking about. But yeah. Story style, two different pictures. Is it the 1984 with Peter Cushing? Is that the one? Peter Cushing's was 1954. Okay. Okay. Now, now I'm kind of curious to see the 56 version just to see. Uh, I'm curious to see how this would have felt watching these both back to back. Boy, I wonder. Uh, this, so this has that science fiction element. It's got a lot of, I don't know if you call it commentary or, or criticism of politics, but it didn't shy away from it. And that's something that I like about, you know, the good science fiction movies. That there's, there's always more than just ray guns and spaceships. You know, you've got things just beneath the surface to kind of make you think about real world stuff, stuff that's happening now, or in this case, then in the 1950s. What I liked about this film also in that political aspect, it's one man is in charge of the country. Mm -hmm. It's a small you country, know, but still, yeah. Oronsky, <laughs> you know, played by Walter um, Rilla and wonderfully done. Wonderful performance. Oh yeah. And it basically, he has his goons, that are taking care of keeping the control. And he also has his youth group 
Hugo in particular reminded me of Hitler's. Um, oh God. Yeah. Hitler's youth. Hitler's youth, you know, the youth group or whatever, uh, you know, cause I'm 1956. I mean, world war two was just you know a heartbeat ago from it. And being said in Europe, I mean, you can't just, the parallels are obvious. Yeah. But what I liked about the movie, it showed with the reporters, how they were able to, especially with Mike Wilson's character, they were both able to get the people to realize, hey, we can take the control. And it was that leading of that leading of the town to revolt, basically, and start that takeover. By first, first he canceled the carnival near the end, and they they ripped it up when he stood up to the to yeah the, um, yeah the lead the, the lead constable type character who was a colonel, but I mean not really a colonel, right? And and that kind of thing. And when he ran and he stood up to them, they were like, "We can stand up." And then and then they, of course they stood up to the bad guy at the end. And uh, I, I appreciate because it, it just shows you that you can take control over these situations. And I think it was it was very well done. Yeah, I mean, it definitely shows that. And I, I was a little surprised that it was the American who is the one that's kind of in the mix more physically. I mean, I, I get it. You know, we're kind of stereotypical, ugly American going and kind of barge our way around and all that. But because it was a British film, I guess I kind of assumed or would assume that our British hero would do a little bit more on the active front. Not saying that he wasn't important because he definitely was. And he is the one that leads everybody to the castle at the end. So there is that. But yeah, he definitely kind of shows that you don't have to succumb to dictatorship. You don't have to not have a car just because one guy says no cars. I thought it was silly. The, the, the bit with the telegraph office was a little interesting, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that was interesting <laughs> yeah but yeah i think you're absolutely right and well i think when you look at the two types with paul douglas and leslie phillips playing the male lead mm -hmm. one of them is not going to be a sprinter and that's paul douglas yeah because his running was done by a stunt guy that's the one thing. not surprised <laughs> yeah i was not surprised like what you, you could tell it's like oh the hair changed color and it got a little bigger and, and, and he's a lot thinner <laughs> There's distant running scenes. True. But, you know, but you could say if he threw a punch, you're going to feel it. Like yeah. he looked like a guy could throw. And, and Leslie Phillips is more of that leaf, left, L-I-T-H-E type character where he's just able to move in and out, able to weep, bob and weave. But he did get involved in the fist of cuffs at the end. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Everything kind of came together at the end for, for both of them. So this movie came out before Children of the Damned. That was in the 60s. So... I don't know, and I, I don't know enough about the history of film to know when mobs of children became so threatening. <laughs> but the mobs of children in this were threatening and terrifying, especially when Hugo was like, get him. <laughs> and they just oh, yeah, all mobbed the guy. <laughs> one 12 or 13-year-old not going to hurt you. 12 of them. <laughs> that, that can cause some damage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get him. Uh, no, don't get him. Stop. And Michael, I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right. Carter Red? Yeah. Carteridia? I don't know. Uh, the actor who played Hugo, Michael Caridia? I Man, Caridia? I'm so sorry. But I don't know. His Hugo was spot on. Oh, he was great. You, you despise this 
boy. Oh, he was a little, you know. But towards the end of the movie, when he needs to kind of show a little bit of growth or have an arc kind of come to completion, I bought it with him. Yep. You know, was, we found that there was a sister was involved and mm-hmm. uh, he broke through his programming and came through and basically saved the day. Yeah. If not for him, um, Mike <laughs> would have been gammed, gamma raid. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't turning into the Hulk folks. Yeah. It's probably a little too soon for the Hulk, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I liked that though too. So, you know, we haven't really talked too much about the plot overall and all that. It's, it's pretty, two guys get stuck in a small dictatorship run by one guy. Who's also doing some mad sciencey type stuff involving gamma radiation and what he's doing, especially to the children of this small town, creating basically Superman type characters or goons that are kind of mindless and will do whatever they're told. And you've got these two reporters that were supposed to be covering a music festival. You know, they're, they're trying to get to Firefest, and <laughs> you've got these two guys. One's a photographer. The other one is primarily a writer and they get stuck there and they can't leave right away. The train abandoned them because they fell off the train, <laughs> which is a weird setup for a movie, but Hey, whatever works where the train car gets disconnected from the train and just kind of rolls into town. Uh, so you've got these two guys who are stuck here and because they're reporters, they're inquisitive and they can't help, but kind of notice things are a little off and start snooping around and chaos ensues. <laughs> well, well, of course, I mean, you know, otherwise we'd have no movie, but exactly. I thought it was hilarious when they arrived to town. First, I have to say that, that train with battle locomotive, that train car went a long way. Oh, it coasted. It coasted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, that thing coasted for a long time, yep. but it was, it was impressive. And they they get to the town, and they're met by the the colonel and his troops, like <laughs> five or six guys. And I thought it was hilarious because the, the one guy goes off, and you know, then the other guy is playing. They're playing chess in the um, their car, and when one of the soldiers goes in there and comes out with with Howard, he's carrying the chessboard. Exactly the way it would stay for the pieces, and and basically when they take him to jail, he's carrying the chessboard exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want. It's like we don't want to disturb the game. It was really. It's like chess, very important. It, it was like these bizarre little things that just add to me humor to the mm-hmm, story mm-hmm. when you're watching it, and it's just like, oh, that that is kind of funny. Yeah, and you know they let the humor kind of develop or evolve out of these these moments that. Really, you've got this intellectual madman running the town. Of course, a game like chess is going to be important. So, of course, they're going to you know be taught that you do not interrupt a chess game. You know, of course. But then it's also, you know, funny. So it all kind of makes sense. All the little pieces, all the little moving parts of this movie all work well together. Oh, definitely. And for those wondering, when the um, scientist, the mad scientist, and you got to have a mad scientist. Yeah, you've got to. You have to. His whole thing is to take the children and to try to increase their intellect because originally he was trying to do stuff to increase life for a longer life and realize that it wouldn't matter because everything would still lose it all at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, he just figured, let's just try to increase the um, intellect and make, make the children smarter. But it all, but sometimes it would have the, Ill, the, the opposite effect and make people imbeciles as he called it. And those are the ones that became his, goon squad so mm-hmm. he had a goon squad of 
geniuses and a goon squad of people with very low intelligence because of his rays that would just do his attacking and stuff like that. Almost like, almost like a pack of dogs because he'd blow a whistle and they would come out, they'd blow a whistle and they'd retreat. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting, you know, to see that, that, you know, regardless of what their intellect was, they were still under his control. Yeah, one way or the other. Yeah, he had total control over them. And that's why I like what happens. And, you know, we're spoil- we spoil movies here. and People know that by this point. That's one of the things that I liked about Hugo's turn at the end, that he was able to kind of break through that programming and the portrayal of that I thought was really well done. So, yeah, I really liked that a lot. And I know I've already said that and I keep going back to it. But, you know, I feel like a lot of times kids, you know, child actors are kind of hit and miss. But on this one, that kid delivered. The female, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, the little girl, um, the little girl who played the piano, she played the character very well. Mm-hmm. I thought both, so I both, both, both the child leads did an excellent job, but the relationship between her and her father, who's trying to get her out of the country. And then he's being warned that if you continue on, you're going to get killed. They know you're coming. And he's like, what's the point? We're going to, we're going to go for it anyway. He'd rather live in with freedom or death than to live in tyranny. So I just hopped over to Wikipedia to see if there was a more in-depth plot description to name that that girl. I don't see it here, but as I'm scanning through here, I see, (laughs) to kind of go back to something I said a second ago, apparently Irving Allen originally wanted Brian Donlevy in that role. (laughs) So yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course, you wanted wanted, um, Paul Douglas to play the Brian Dunleavy role. So <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> well, you wanted him as you wanted him as Quatermass, uh, uh, as a, like a future uh, uh, film. Yeah, as a Quatermass. I don't. I don't want to get rid of Dunleavy. Dunleavy's awesome. Uh, but, I didn't say that. I just said you wanted him in that role. That's you know, true. Like that's true. That's true. Good point. I mean, own it. You said it. Own it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, you know, the movie, something else I'm going to talk about, something that there's been a distinct lack of on this show for the past four weeks, something that I feel I must correct right now. I loved the music in this movie. <laughs> man, that, say, the, We've talked about music in a lot of the movies, but I know we haven't had you saying you love it and want the soundtrack. Right, I do. See, and I actually had this kind of moment. I'm watching the movie. The credits start. The name of the composer comes up, George Melacrino. I know nothing about this guy. That name means absolutely nothing to me. And I think to myself, you know, I know I always say I want the movie soundtrack to something, but do I really want it because I, I like the music or I just want to say I've got it? Now we'll see how this music is. And it starts out okay. When Mike is on the, the hilltop, the clifftop, the hilltop, and he's being chased by the goons, and that music, that chase music kicks in. I was like, yeah, okay, I want this soundtrack. Because it is just way over the top, and I loved it. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. It gives a selected filmography, so I don't know how many films he's done. But yeah. his discography is lengthy. Good, good. Lengthy. How many? How much? How much music he has available, or at least had available through RCA and some other ones. Right on. It, from it's it's just amazing. There's even music for dining and music for relaxing and music for reading. I mean, really, 
you should just get the first three things he has there, Derek, and you'd be set for life. Yeah, sounds like it. You know, I'm looking at his bibliography, or excuse me, his filmography, and it looks like he even did a couple of the Old Mother Riley films, which My Son the Vampire is the final Old Mother Riley film. He didn't do that one, but interesting that he had the connection to, to those movies with John Gilling as the director. Interesting. This film is this film is just great. And we haven't talked about the female lead, Eva Bartok, play, mm. play Paula. Mm-hmm. And I like her. Because her character, you start off thinking she's going to be evil. But we find out as the movie goes on, she's doing it because her brother is being one of the ones subjugated or worked on, um, Hugo. Yeah. And how she's trying to watch out for him and the other children. And she cares so much about them. But it's, 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 but she also has to look tough because otherwise, uh, the, you know, the villain will take her out, you know, and that kind of stuff. Not, and, t- and take her out, I mean, not the dinner, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, <laughs> I just want to make sure I was clear. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you. Uh, it was, no, she was really good, too. And she's one of these people, like, I feel like I should know that name. I got nothing. I looked at her filmography, nothing's grabbing me. I got nothing. I'm never, look, I'm never looking all of them up. And I'm just like, oh, this this is interesting. Uh, there's really nothing for me to to, to cling to. Yeah. Um, with them, her background is fascinating. And for people, if you want to read it, her her background would lead into a movie. You know what she had to do for a drama. Oh, really? I I don't know anything about her. Oh well, it's it's a during the Second World War. When she was a teenager, she was the daughter of a Jewish father and a Catholic mother, was forced to marry a Hungarian Nazi officer. The marriage was annulled after the war on the grounds of coercion of a minor. Wow. Okay. Because things people had to do in order to survive where they were living and stuff. And it's just, I mean, that right there, she had to go through a lot. That's a lot. At a young age. And and, and, it's just. You know, for her and her family, and it's just, it's just your heart goes out for people having to be put in those situations in order to live. Yeah, I, I don't but, know anything about her, but, you know, I liked her well enough that I wouldn't mind learning more about her. So. And that's why I think she was a perfect fit for this movie. She wasn't originally, I think, supposed to be the female lead. Um, it was supposed to be, uh, I think, Patricia Medina. Yeah, who was and, signed up for a different Sam Sherman film instead. So there's scheduling issues. It's one of those things that happens and, you know, you don't get the same person, but I think for her, with her background story, knowing that going into this particular film adds that extra emotion that she can bring to her character because this was real. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, I think those are the things a lot of us, a lot of us forget when we get farther away from certain movies from these decades is that the life experiences that people went through, going into these pictures, like um, people that lived through the depression going into movies after that and how that would have affected them going into that. People that were in the wars going into movies after that, um, you know, and the, 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 the things they bring. Yeah. I think that's just, it's just amazing how they can bring that to work. You're, you're talking about that. And I'm immediately thinking about Ingrid Pitt and everything that she lived through prior to her film career and how, that had to have had an impact on what she did. I'm just thinking, here's a person, here's people that we'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. 
yet they had extensive filmographies that you and I just are not aware of. And obviously they're, they, they must've been quality actors, sure. all of them in order to have those lengthy careers, mm-hmm. whether in starring roles or supporting roles or bit parts, I don't know, but it just showed they were, they were really good at their craft. And it's nice when you pick a movie like this and you find out that, that and you go like, Oh, I want to learn more about that actor. I want to learn more and more about this actor and that actor, you know, and, and or the director or the, or the composer it's cinematographer. You know, you just want to learn more about all of them, which is you and I both know takes us down these rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And that's, that's one of the things about being a monster kid. I feel like is that it's not enough to say, I like the Wolfman. It's I like the Wolfman and I like Lon Chaney Jr. And I can tell you all this stuff about him. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's monster kids. We get very kind of obsessive about this kind of stuff. And I have a blind spot when it comes to a lot of 1950s sci-fi. You quiz me on universal horror. I'm good. I'm having a good time. Hammer, especially through the 60s, early 70s, I'm having a blast. 1950s science fiction, especially outside of Universal, I'm lost and I'm learning and I, I realize there's so much more out there for me to know. And like just now, I knew nothing about this, this actress. I know nothing about Paul Douglas. Um, these people are amazing. They need to be talked about more. They are. Like we said, we're looking at a lot of their work and a lot of their work is non horror or monster related movie wise. Sure. But I'm as a film lover, I, I'm, I want to seek them out just to find out more about them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which is another thing that I love about, you know, getting into movies like this is that we end up in a situation where we look at not just, you know, the classic horror movies, but, you know, the story of classic horror is the story of classic Hollywood. You know, you, you can't help but learn about film history, watching these things and learning about the people involved. So, yeah, I'm eager to see more with Eva Bartok. I thought she was great. And I am going to track down more Paul Douglas. He was fantastic. Now, one thing I want to ask you, yeah. Derek, is what did you think about the goon type guy, like the makeup and everything? I thought, it was, for me, it was very Carnival Soul. Yes, thank you. I was thinking that, too. I was like, okay, that, you know, very, very reminiscent of Carnival of Souls. Uh, this is before John Gilling did Plague of the Zombies, but it had a very zombie-like quality to it as well. Which, depending on where you come on, whether or not they're zombies or not discussion uh regarding carnival of souls you know but yeah uh i I thought it was really interesting choice because how how do you portray physically outwardly to the audience that these are the goons these are the ones that didn't really make it out of the gamma ray experiments the way hugo did well you make them look like goons you make them look like zombies basically and i thought it worked what about you did you like it I liked it, and I think um, Leslie Phillips' character, Howard, put it best. When he first, when he's trying to describe them to Mike, he said, they were like, ghoul. Yes. Ghoul. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, and I, when I heard that, at first, as soon as you hear ghouls, you think of Night of the Living Dead. And I'm just, you know, and but I was, but I was getting a very Carnival Souls vibe yep. from the makeup of them, the look of them. Sure. And I could see where if I saw one of these guys, I'd be like a very... Um, I'm you know, feeling very little worried about what's going on. If I see a half a dozen of these guys, I'm definitely going the other way. Well, it's <laughs> like you were just saying a second ago, one 12-year-old, eh, I could probably push him over and be okay. 
a mob of 12-year-olds? Yeah, no. And, and listeners, yeah. these, these guys weren't 12 years old. These guys are full-grown adults. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of them is going to give you pause. Six of them is going to make you run, and not two of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And Derek, I don't know how to put this to you, but I don't think you and I are built for distance running, so it's going to be find a spot and stay and fight. You yeah, know? yeah, I'm not going to be running very much, um, especially lately. Yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> Unless I can get unless I can get the same stunt double that Paul Douglas had. Okay, tag, you run. <laughs> you go, baby. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> we all need our own stunt doubles. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I kind of I could use a stunt double with the rest of the unpacking I have to do. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Hey, stunt double, go down and get the groceries and bring them back up. <laughs> really? I live on the third floor now, man. I I really hope the pain that I have in my thighs are muscles getting better and not just pain from going up and down those stairs all the time <laughs> by the time i'm done living here whatever's who knows when that's going to be my i'm going to have awesome thighs and my calves man oh man you'd be able to like i don't know they look like stone right that's that's i i i don't know what i'm saying anymore people won't recognize you come monster bash they'll be like where's Derek? where's Derek? Derek, i'm coming back from jogging <laughs> oh well, i don't know about that <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you'd be like, you're like, I, I, I'm not using the elevator here. I'm using the stairs. I'm going to make it feel like I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Scott I, will get you work. I'll, say, I'll, work I'll leave you that to Scott. I'll leave that to Scott. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm glad that, that you and I watched it. Yeah. I think this, 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 is, this is one that definitely adds to the... Um, the plus pile. We've yet to hit a negative one. To a curse, I, every time I say that, I think I'm going to curse us for the next one. But you know, you know. <laughs> I, I'm over that. Yeah, because I, I worry about that too. But at this point, and this is something that I appreciate about what you did on the show too over this past month is you kind of kept that Monster Kid Radio philosophy uh, or, or point of view where even if it's a movie that we absolutely disliked from top to bottom, we find something to appreciate about it. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about what you did on the show this time around was, you know, during the month that I was gone, you were going out of your way to make sure that, you know, you were positive about the movies. And even if this movie was awful, I think we'd still find something to find, you know, to enjoy about it. To be said, to be fair though, it wasn't awful. It was awesome. I, I give it. I give it a solid recommend for this audience to watch. I mean, it's in uh, it, all my own. Show, I would say to them, yeah, this would be good to watch. I mean, I'd mm -hmm. give it a nice solid C plus, B minus. You know, there's things to prove, but I'll put it right there on that positive side. You know, basically a six or seven stars out of ten, whatever we, whatever rating system you want to look. <laughs> I just look at it. Did I enjoy myself or not enjoy myself? If I enjoyed myself, it's a plus. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And I am going to go back. This is one of those ones that I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch when I have access to a better transfer. Um, I don't know if a I'm, better transfer exists, but. I'm definitely going to rewatch it again probably next year, early next year, but, but with the 1956 version of 1984. I'm going to do that double header, that double feature. Wow. Feature. You have to let me know how it goes, man. I'm going to try to find out what the bill was and see if I can find out which one was the first one and then do it in the. Order, I would have saw it at the theater. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck on that one. That sounds awesome. All right. I think, well, at least I know I'll enjoy one film. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm always fascinated with the kind of movies that they always kind of put together like that. It's, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe it plays well. 
And I know that it's really less about the story and more about the studio trying to recoup costs, but still. The movie's good. Highly recommend from me. Uh, I, I, I think it does move a little slow in spots. I do find some of the relationship building between Mike and uh, the woman sometimes a little on the nose, but not enough to bore me. Uh, overall, solid recommend. Here, here. I think we're open agreement, and if this was ever redone, I can see, if, even if the actors were the same age as the two male leads, they're just going to look younger because people look a lot younger now at that age group, yep. you know, we talked about before. So I think you could still keep them around that same spot, like in their four late forties, mid to late forties. Sure. And I think it would still work because they'd have that, that sense of worldly worldliness around them. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. So I will uh, make sure there's a link to the diecast movie podcast. So here's the thing, Steve, you're slumming it over here on monster kid radio while you're putting out interviews with Louis Gossett jr. On your show. I mean, come on. It's never slumming it through Monster Kid Radio. Monster <laughs> Kid Radio is is the the creme de la creme. Oh, it's, okay. It's a, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, my mine is the WKRP of Cincinnati of podcasts. I've said that before, and it's it's still that way. You see, I know every time you say that, I, I just my brain tries to put you in the Lonnie Anderson outfit, and I just it hurts. It physically hurts I, I, me I, to do that. I think that speaks more of you. There's something wrong. With you. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I told you, I think I picture myself more of the Dr. Johnny fever <laughs> look and, and, and feel to him, you know, okay. it's, it's, um, you know, but it's, what's coming up on the diecast movie podcast, an interview that's going to be coming out right before this episode is Marley Renfro. Are you familiar with Marley Renfro? I don't think I am. Have you ever seen the movie psycho? I have. She is the person in the shower that's the body double okay. of Janet Lee. And any scene where you don't see Janet Lee's face, it's Marley Renfro. Who was a, uh, wasn't she a burlesque dancer? She was one of the original Playboy. Yeah. Um, yeah the Playboy bunnies. And she was also worked in Las Vegas. So she has stories about working in the Vegas with the different acts there. Mm -hmm. She was also in another film where she was in a more prominent role. With Francis Ford Coppola. Nice. So you would you do two films, one with Hitchcock, one with Coppola. You, you can't really go in any wrong, you know, do anything wrong with that. But she's she's had a very interesting life. Wonderful lady. You know, she's in her early eighties. She is just sharp as everything. You know, she's just a wonder. You, you know, when you you and I when we reach that age, we hope we can do as many things as she can do. She is featured in the documentary 7852 Hitchcock's shower scene. Uh, that's where I picked up on she her having something to do with like dancing or whatever, which is something that I talked about on my show back in 2017 uh, on December 11th. In fact, when I put out one episode devoted to all things psycho with me and Chris McMillan, and I put it out on my birthday because the movie takes place on my birthday. And I thought that's kind of cool. Well, there you go. And, and, and when you listen to this, you'll learn more about because she talks about that documentary and other things. And uh, we talk about the movies, but we also, uh, you know, I don't talk to people. I like to talk about their lives. Sure. And an interview I have coming out in early January is with the movie that you and I did on my show, Horror High with Pat Cardi. There you go. So I, I got an interview with him that, that you'll like. And, um, it's just been fun. I've, I got, I'm going to be interviewing Beverly Washburn next weekend. She's amazing. I've, I've talked to her at a monster bash. She's awesome. 
she is a wonderful person. What can you say? I mean, earlier today, I was interviewing Jim Apparel, A-U-P-P-E-R-L-E, who does stop motion and other special effects. And we were talking about stop motion, basically how he met Ray Harryhausen and at Forrest J. Ackerman's house and how he got into the business and all that kind of stuff. It, it was fascinating a couple hours just to hear these stories and learn about these different films that he worked on, like Evil Dead 2, Ghostbusters. One of, one of his main movies was Planet of Dinosaurs. So there's it, a lot of films. He was also in Jason the Star Command. A lot of films and TV shows he worked on. If you're not familiar with them, look it up on IMDb and just be blown away. Right on. Or listen to your podcast. That'd be nice. Right on. Well, Steve, thank you. I'm going to let you get back to uh, being a one podcast man uh, for a little while. Again, thank you for being here for me and for Monster Kid Radio listeners around the world. I'm, I'm sure your efforts were appreciated by everybody, not just me. So thank you again. And I can't wait to hear what's coming up on your show, man. Good on you, Steve. Oh, <laughs> oh thank you. Thank you. Well, we, we're all trying to, we all, we're all learning from the math. Oh, don't even. <laughs> well, you told me I was your minion earlier, uh, but I got to tell you a master. Good point. Good you point. know, and that kind of stuff. Full circle. But it's, Full circle. <laughs> but no, it's just, it's just been fun. As long as you're having fun doing what you're doing and it's, it's, it's worth doing. There you go. And doing and helping you out was a pleasure. And anytime you need help, just let me know. Cool. Well, I definitely need help unpacking. So, uh, my place just tomorrow morning. airfare and I'll ah, come out and help you. Ah, <laughs> man. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience and just supporting the show with your downloads. You can also support the show by getting involved online. We have a Twitter page. We have a Facebook group. And we used to have a Facebook page. I'm not sure why, but Facebook got rid of it. So if you're on Facebook and you want to interact with us, the Facebook group is the way to go. I'm trying to figure out how to get that page back. Of course, we also have Reddit and Discord, which are two services that I don't use enough of, but I'm trying to work those back into the mix, as well as Patreon, where you can help support the show as an actual patron. All of this is on our website at monsterkidradio.net. Like I said, you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. You're also going to find Amazon affiliate links that you can use to buy things that you've heard about here on the show. And by using the Amazon affiliate links... You're helping me out because even though it doesn't cost you any extra, it's taking a few pennies out of the paycheck that Jeff Bezos gets for whatever it is you purchase and puts it into the Monster Kid Radio coffin. I mean, coffers. So that's really appreciated. In fact, if you want to buy anything from Amazon, especially with the holidays coming up, instead of just going to Amazon.com, please consider going to tinyurl.com slash KR. This is going to take you to Amazon, but it does so using my Amazon affiliate link so that anything that you purchase after you punch that link in sends a few more pennies away from Jeff Bezos and into the Monster Kid Radio uh, pot bank piggy. I'll just say coffers again. Anyway, that's another way you can help support the show. Also, depending on when you listen to this episode, if you are going to order anything from TeePublic, whether it's the Monster Kid Radio Shop or any other shop on TeePublic, do it now because TeePublic can no longer guarantee that anything that you order will get to you before Christmas if you don't order it ASAP. 
And of course, we've got some Monster Kid Radio t-shirts and merch over there, as well as a t-shirt or two or three or four celebrating Christmas Monster Kid Radio style. Go to tinyurl.com slash christmasmkr for that. And finally... Another way you can help support the show, and I promise I'm done chilling after this, is by buying us a coffee. Now, if you join us at the Monster Kid Movie Club or the Monster Kid fill-in-the-blank club on Tuesday, you know that we oftentimes will do drawings or giveaways. And the only way to enter that drawing is by buying us a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash monsterkidradio. Don't worry, there's links in the show notes. But every time you go over there and buy a $3 coffee, you get your name entered into a drawing for, well, a prize. And the prize this week is the biggest mystery box that I've ever given away. I thought, you know, we're getting close to the holidays, end of the year. Let's do a big blowout by doing a huge mystery box. And when I say huge, I'm talking DVDs more than one. I'm talking a magazine. I'm talking books. I'm talking posters. I'm talking a a still from a Lon Chaney movie. I've got all sorts of cool stuff I'm going to stuff into this mystery box. And my promise is to get the mystery box mailed out as soon as I possibly can, hopefully by the following Monday after the drawing on December 11th. So you have until this Saturday morning to get your entry in if you want to be considered in the drawing for the biggest mystery box ever at the Monster Kid Movie Club. Speaking of the Monster Kid Movie Club, you like that transition? It's like I wasn't even away for that long. Speaking of the Monster Kid Radio or Monster Kid Movie Club, see, of course, then I botched it because I pointed it out. On Saturday, we typically watch movies all day long. 11 a.m. Pacific, Scott Morris has an amazing pre-show. And then around noon, the movies kick off. This Saturday is my birthday. So as a birthday gift to myself, on December December 11th, I'm going to be showing movies that, well, I want to. I'm going to show some of my favorite films that I have permission to show, of course on the Monster Kid Movie Club stream, which you can get to on Twitch. Just look up Monster Kid Radio or go straight to twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. Join us on Saturday. You can hop over there now and just start following the channel and you'll be notified about any appearances or the Twitch stream going live or anything like that. So you've got Saturday and then you've got Tuesday, which is the Cliffhanger Club right now, where around 3.30 or so, again, in the afternoon, Pacific time, we start a pre-show. And then around four o'clock, we're showing nothing but movie serials. And this upcoming Tuesday, we're showing the first five or six episodes of the serial, The Tiger Woman, as well as the first five or six episodes of the serial, Zorro's Black Whip, both starring Linda Sterling. So make sure you join us for that. There's a live chat going the entire time. The community that has built up over there is a lot of fun to hang out with and talk about movies with. And I'm going to go ahead and put this out there now. If we can make sure that by the end of this month, by the end of 2021, by December 31st, if we have 50 subscribers of the Twitch stream. If we have 50 subscribers supporting the Monster Kid Movie Club, sometime in January, I will run a 50-hour marathon of, well, something special. So maybe you can help us meet that goal. 
Let's talk more about the podcast and kind of get back to what you're here for. What's coming up next week on the podcast? I have no idea. I have put out a few messages and feelers for some people to put something together for next week. I'd love to watch another movie and talk about it with somebody, or maybe I can get my act together in time to put together an episode in which we finally announce the nominees for this. Oh boy, this year. This, I just about said this week's, this year's rally awards, the monster kid movie rally award, the rally, the retro award. I forget what they're called, but this is a weekly, a weekly. See, you can tell we're towards the end of the episode because I'm not going to edit any of that out. I'm just going to say, <laughs> stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net and the Facebook group and the Twitter page for any updates or announcements about what's coming up next week on the show. Of course, you can always contact us as well. This is how you do it. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Remember, until next week, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Proletarian Party. That is copyright The Gagarins, and you can find it on their album, Por Un Pinata de Roblos. You can find them at thegagarins.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes and check them out. Make sure you let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Come here. Come here. Come here. She's Wednesday. Ciao.